This isn't just true if you're um, still at home living under mom and dad's covering, right? Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I love the book of Proverbs. It's always full of really cool stuff. Um, we are today in the second in a, in a series, a Christmas series that we're calling I've Come to Worship. And um, it's, it's focused, it's from the perspective of the Magi. And we talked about them a little last week. And I, um, I've asked a friend of mine, Whitney, if she wouldn't come up and help us and read some of the Christmas. Do you want me to hold something for you? Or are you just, come, you ready? Okay, come on up, sweetie. This is Whitney. Smile at her nice while she reads part of the Christmas story for us. Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them, and the star, what? After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead, went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Whitney. That was sweet. And we have a safe escort to get her to class now, right? Dad's got that covered. Thanks, Seth. Thanks for letting me borrow your daughter for our our message today. Last week we um, talked about um, lifting up... (laughs) Lost her already. Out the door. Okay. Run, Dad. You know, I hope that's not prophetic, <laughs> right? Everyone who has pastored teenagers know that it's just coming, isn't it? You know, they get out ahead of you. Last week, we talked about lifting holy hands, and uh, next week, we're going to talk about pouring out our hearts. Today, I want to talk about what the, what the Magi did, bringing gifts before God as an act of worship, and I want to start in Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. Um, you could follow the words are going to be up as we go along. And, and, and I encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. Um, and um, some of you got that on your phone, and sometimes you bring this kind, and both are good. Um, and it's just good for you to have your hands on the Word of God. It's good for you when somebody up front says something to you, comes from the Word of God, that you have seen it enough to know, yep, this is not being filtered for me. In fact, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. So um, today, um, it, it, I put the words up, but I, I, I do that intending to help you, not to get you to not bring your Bible. Okay, so I encourage you to do that. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and we learned about them last week, and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Where's the one who we've been anticipating for all this time? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. They just gave the reason for their trip. They had come to worship him. Jesus. Now, Herod, uh, we talked about this last week too, he was an evil guy. I mean, he was, you know, if he would have had winged monkeys, they would have been flying. You know what I'm talking about, winged monkeys? That's who this guy would have been, only without the pointy hat. He was not a good man. And, and so, um, you know, he was concerned that these magi were there actually to overthrow his reign. And um, it wasn't three guys on a camel. I talked about that. You can get last week's message. It's free on the website, and we spent some time. This was not three guys on a camel. This was a, a, a military diplomatic entourage that included Persian cavalry. 
Okay, it was a big force, and these guys had some real authority with them, and so Herod was troubled. What the scripture says, and all Jerusalem with him. So, so that's the, the deal. And and what what does King Herod do? He cozies up to them, and he lies to him. Hey, when you find this baby, that's going to become the king, let me know so that I can go worship him too. I mean, he's completely there following you know the philosopher Corleone. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I mean, that's exactly what he's doing there. You do know the philosopher Corleone, right? Okay. No, you don't? Okay. It's a distraction, Terry. Move on. Okay, so verse 9 says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose ahead, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So they saw the star, and they followed it. Sometimes I think um, it sounds like a nice afternoon um, walk that these guys took. Now, they were actually traveling a distance from Persia, which we would know today as Iran. This was a trip of about 900 miles. So picture 900. If we were to get in the car out front and drive 900 miles from here, it would be like eastern Montana. Or if you're a vacationer, it would be like Old Faithful plus 50 miles or so. I mean, it's a distance. These guys, this was a long, hard, tedious journey without air conditioning and without Southwest Airlines or Alaska Airlines to help them get there, there was no little almonds in a foil bag. Okay, So um, they, they made this terribly hard journey to, to worship the one they believed might be the Savior. Verse 10 says this, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, is the word that they used. Overjoyed. And I want to point out that because we're going to focus on that word a little bit. They were overjoyed. Now, this, this particular phrase, I mean, I've given it to you in the NIV translation, but um, the, 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 the translation that I prefer and that I use mostly is the New King James. And the New King James says this. It says, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. There are four Greek words that make up that sentence. And um, the word there, exceedingly, is the one I want to focus on because if you go find out what it is, it's literally the word mega. Our word Mega pretty cool. I thought that was a new word. No, 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 that's King James, mega. They were mega happy. They were mega rejoiced. That's what that's saying. It's like, it's like compounding joy. It's like joy times joy. This is, they're saying these guys were out of their socks happy. Okay, they're pretty amped up. And the deal was that for centuries, people had believed that, that one day, one, with a capital O, one would come that would be their savior. And so from the depths of their soul, these guys have made this journey and they are overjoyed with mega joy. They're, they're amped up. Now, I just want to pause there for a second and say, you know, I, I, the comments I want to make, present company excluded, this would not apply to any of us here, I would tell you. But an awful lot of Christians have a problem at the opposite end. We're not overjoyed, we're underjoyed. I mean, sometimes I see it. People, you know, Got a sourpuss look. Stop it. I mean, it's like, you know, you, you come into, you, you actually come into the house of the Lord. Sometimes you can get there and you got like this, you know, you're mad about something, you're upset or you're nitpicking about something or whatever, something's not right. And it's like, come on, Christians should be the happiest people in existence. Because we got a lot to be happy for. I mean, we got, we got, you know, I mean, we, we have been given a gift that there's no way we could earn, and we certainly don't deserve, and it's given to us freely. We ought to be happy. In fact, people see us, they go, man, that guy is so happy, it makes me sick. How come that guy is so happy? I mean, <laughs> I, mean I mean, I I don't always wake up with a smile on my face. But some of you, you know, I mean, you do. You have that advantage. And I walk around sometimes, and I think I'm smiling. 
And I think I'm smiling. And I've had people walk up to me and say, hey, are you happy? Yeah. Well, tell your face. <laughs> okay. I mean, I get that. But we should be more full of joy than anybody else. And it shouldn't matter how bad things get. It really shouldn't. Because no matter what happens to me today, there's an eternity in front of me that's pretty picking good. That's a King James word, I'm sure, picking. I mean, I mean, there's, you know, I've got a God who is working in all things for the good of me because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. Same as you. I've got a God who looks at me and he says, well, I know the thoughts I think about you, Terry. And by the way, Psalm 139 says, there's so many cool thoughts he thinks about me, you can't count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I can't count them. I can't keep up. God's thinking good things about me, and he's thinking about my future and my hope. I should be happy. <laughs> yeah, so I just want to say, Christians, don't live underjoyed. Don't, don't, you know, you be the one that smiles. You be the one that claps. You be the one that cheers. You be the one that praises. You be the one that's happy. Happy. You be, be the one that's fun to be around. You, we should, as Christians, be known for what we are for not for what we're against. We should be pro something. I mean, there's good things to be pro for, but you know, we should be the ones that are full of love. We should be the ones that are full of grace. It should be in our wake, you know, that when you're driving you're in your motorboat and you see the waves go like this and it's spreading out behind you, that should be the stuff that's in our wake. So these guys, you know, they were overjoyed. They got a savior. They, they were overjoyed to see this guy. They journeyed 900 miles. They couldn't wait to worship him. So what do they do? Verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. And we're going to come back to that in a future week in this series. They bowed down and worshiped him. And how did they worship him? It says very, very clearly here in Scripture, it says, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These guys were overjoyed to bow down and worship him, to bring gifts to the one who would save them. The one who, they, they were just overjoyed to give them. And they did not give underjoyed. They weren't like upset. Oh, I can't believe I got to give him this. That was not their hearts. You know, I, my, my son Joseph, who many of you know Joseph, he's not here today. He's, he's got the just tender heart, big old, big old Joe, and he's... he's he drives me nuts sometimes. He drives my whole family nuts sometimes. If there's, if there's going to be a gift, if it's Lisa's birthday or something, and Joseph has brought a gift for her, we'll all be thinking, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to do this thing and we're going to barbecue some pizzas or whatever we're doing and at some point we'll sit down and we'll bless mom with gifts. I just use you as an example. And he can't stand it. You know, we'll be busy doing our things and he'll just get to the point, you can just kind of see it's kind of like, you know, Mount St. Helens had harmonic tremors they were measuring beforehand, and you knew something was coming. You can just see it kind of rattling in Joe, and, and he'll be trying to be distracted, and he'll be doing whatever he's doing, and at, at some point, he just can't stand anymore. He'll say, hey, hey, everybody stop what you're doing. i got to give this to Mom, and you need to see it. And we say, Joe, we're going to get to that. You know, Stop it. No, 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 stop what you're doing. i got to give this to Mom. I mean, that is him. He's overjoyed, and he wants everybody to be in, in on this and to see this and enjoy this. I mean, that's, it's a great picture. And he's never thinking, oh, man, i got to go find something for my mom. It's like, this obligation, oh, bother, oh, bother. No, that is, there is, there is none of that. And this, with these magi, there was none of that. 
they were just overjoyed, this, this sense that, they, that they're going to give him, the, God, this gold, this frankincense and myrrh. And I think for centuries, scholars have tossed up ideas and argued about, you know, what's the significance of those three gifts? And, um, you know, there's some general thinking. We don't know for certain. Um, there's some general thinking. The gold represents his kingship, and the, the frankincense is symbolic of his priestly role, and the myrrh, which was refined into this kind of this essential oil, was seen as an anointing oil and was maybe a foreshadowing of, you know, he would be anointed and, and would, would die and, and overcome death. And so there's, there's the symbolism. But whatever it was, these guys had tremendous joy in their heart and they took the very best of what they had and they gave it to Jesus. Now, you're smart people and you've probably been here a couple of times and here I am talking about the Magi and you could probably guess where I'm going with this message and, and uh, you know, I, I'm going to today encourage you as sons and daughters of the king, that when you give to the Lord your tithes and your offerings, that you give to the Lord as an act of worship, maybe like you haven't done it before, it becomes an act of worship in your soul. I know some of you are thinking, well, great, okay? I finally got my friend to come with me to church today, and he's talking about money. He's talking about giving. He's given that giving message and and let me tell you, I understand that if that's you today, and I apologize for having messed up your plans. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't do this very often, and I'm not doing this because the church needs money. I'm doing this because there is something embedded in, in, in the freeing up of trusting God in the area of your finances. And, um, and I, 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 but I used to resent it. I mean, I mean, it's... I'm, there's people, and I'm sure they're thinking right now, yeah, okay, this makes sense, and I'd like to do this, but I've got Christmas gifts, I've got bills, and I've got all kinds of stuff going on, and I used to just resent it when the pastors would talk about money. It's like, I would put it in the same category of having my phone ring just as I got the salt on my whatever, because it's steaming hot, and I'm ready to eat dinner, and phone rings, and it's some guy offering to evaluate my insurance, whatever, Something he wants to sell me. Somebody I don't know, and it says toll-free on the caller ID. or it's an eight. I mean, it's in that category. Or, or the knock on the door. Somebody wants to sell me something, and I, I don't want to buy it from them, nor do I want to answer the door. That's kind of the category I used to put it in. And the reason that I used to put it in that category, coming to church, and I didn't want to hear those messages because I just wasn't a giver. I wasn't. And it just didn't like it. And somewhere... In the journey I've made as a son um, of the king, God's gotten into my heart about this and really changed me. And I honestly now see what I'm sharing with you as freeing for you and faith building. And I honestly believe that in the next few minutes, the Holy Spirit is going to be talking to some hearts. And God is encouraging us as sons and daughters to trust him, to trust his ways, to carry you, to lead you, and to cover you, and I, I know right now I look around the room, and I don't want to do this, um, but I'm telling you right now, there are people smiling back at me, and I can see their heads nodding, and other people I, I think probably are saying, you know, get me out of here. Jesus, could you come back now? I just don't want to sit through one more giving message. I mean, you know, I mean, and okay, so I'll shake that off now. And I, but I honestly believe and I hope that over the next few minutes, God's going to be doing a, a, a work, and that if you don't love to give to God now, that you're going to come out of this at some point, and you're going to start to love to give. You're going to love to give. You're going to actually love to give. 
you're going to be Joseph. My son, Joseph, I mean, who loves to give. I mean, and, and you're going to look forward to it, and you're going to think about it, and you're going to plan, about, plan it, and you're going to be strategic about it, and you're going to be overjoyed to give to God who gave everything to you. Why? Because, because love gives. It does. When you love someone, you give to them. Love gives. I mean, Lisa and I tried this plan a number of years back. We're at the stage of life. We've been married over 40 years now, and we pretty much, you know, it's not like we don't already have the hot air popper for popcorn already. So we, we pretty much have the blenders, and the, we got the stuff, you know. We can always use more torque wrenches, you know. But I mean... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying I, I have a torque wrench, okay? So, I, I mean, we, we have the things, but, but we, so we came up with a green. We said, you know what, let's, let's just kind of throttle back on and not do the big gifts, all this pressure. Too much pressure. We know we love, love each other, so we came to an agreement, right? We made a deal, and um, then every year I kind of break the rule. I mean, so does Lisa, but I'm pretty much a violator. I... I I, I go and I buy something and I do it, and she knows, she knows I'm gonna break the rule, you know. And why do I do it? It's because I'm crazy about her. It's because I'm crazy about this woman, and there's something in me that just wants to just shower her with something good. I just have to do it, and you know, I, it makes me think of one of probably the most well-known verses in all the Bible. If, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard this one because it's at football games. You know, you've probably seen it on placards, John three sixteen, and and it says, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave, right? That He gave, and why did He give? The scriptures, why did He give? Because He so loved, He gave, and uh, you know, He didn't give gold and frankincense and myrrh. He gave way beyond that. He gave His only Son. And um, that's how much he loved us because, because, he loves, because he loves us, he gives. Love gives. God looks at creation and he looks at us and he sees that we are separated from him by our sin. He just sees that. And, and, and he also sees that the only way to reconnect, the only way to resolve that is if somebody innocent would pay the price for our sin. Somebody perfect and sinless would have to pay the price. And so what does he do? He says, okay, I got this. And he sends his precious, perfect son to pay an awful price because of my sin so that I could have a relationship with God. I mean, that's, that's, that's what he did. And he came and he lived a perfect life and he died and he rose again. And, and he did that all so that anyone who puts their faith in him could have eternal life. That's how much God loves. Love, love gives. And um, when you love, when, when, when somebody loves, I think you said something about this. You can see it in, in, in the lives of people. We, we demonstrate it because love gives. Romans 5.8 says, says like this. It says, but God, demonst- but God demonstrates, so he shows it, his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. In other words, when we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. It's interesting to me that God didn't shout down his love from heaven. He actually demonstrated. He came and showed it right here on this earth. He sent Jesus to die for us because he loves us. Now, 
I know, I know as I'm talking about this, that this, you're buying in. You buy into everything that I'm saying to you, but for some of us say, okay, but, but actually giving money is hard for me. I mean, I'd like to, but I, I just feel this pressure. I got financial pressure, and maybe I'm afraid. I'm hesitant. I, I'm just resistant to give. And I love Proverbs. You know how I love Proverbs. And um, there is a passage in Proverbs 3 that's pretty famous. A lot of Christians have quoted it and know it. And um, they, they quote the first part of this passage, but the context goes a little bit fast. So I'm going to read this to you and start with this passage that you know from Proverbs 3, starting at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. He's saying, trust in God. Don't lean on your own plans, your own ability to understand him. It says, but instead, trust him. He's saying, there's more going on. Don't lean on your own understanding. There's more going on here than you understand. I have a different plan, and I think differently than you. Higher is the word God uses. He thinks higher than we think. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't try to figure this out. God's ways are, fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Wow. That's better than health care. Okay, then in the context of trust in the Lord with all your heart, and you know, that whole context, he says, verse 9, honor the Lord. This word honor here means worship, adore, praise. Honor or worship the Lord with your wealth. Same context of trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your owner, saying, honor, trust the Lord with your wealth. Wow, he's saying worship God with what you have. Now, I just want to point out, this is only one of the ways that we worship God. This is just one. It's an important one. Um, and these guys were overjoyed, so they opened up their treasures and they worshipped him. Honor God with your first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Wow. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Worship God with your wealth. And then you'll be blessed beyond measures. But basically what that says. He says, honor him with the first fruits of our wealth. Now, if you're wondering what does first fruits mean, you know, the concept is taught all through the scriptures. Um, it's taught very clearly in the book of Old Testament book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. It's actually taught, though, way before the Ten Commandments. Tithing is taught and in many places in the Old Testament. It's taught in the New, New Testament, several places, the book of Hebrews. And Jesus affirmed it himself in Matthew 23. Um, and it's, it's, this first fruits concept is what's, what's referred to. You probably have heard this, the word tithe. And the Hebrew word for that, simply it just simply means a tenth. Okay, so when it says a tithe, it's saying a tenth. Malachi is, talks about this, and he says, we worship God with a tenth, and, and, and of, of everything that God trusts us with, he says, the tenth. So we bring that in. Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Wow. God hey, I, my checkbook can take some more. <laughs> I mean, God pours out an awful lot of blessing, which isn't just the checkbook, by the way. I think he mentioned health, nourishment to the bones. Um, and, but yet, I remember the first time I heard this passage taught, I thought, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you nuts? 10%? That's crazy. That's crazy. 
But it comes back into focus if we can get back to what Solomon was teaching here in Proverbs 3. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding because it'll come across crazy. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So we honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits, and then God blesses you. And then God makes a promise when we do this. And it comes in the next, the next verse, Malachi 3.11. And we're just about done. We're just about, we're wrapping up here. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. This guy, this, the enemy of our soul, the devourer, okay, who comes to rob, kill, and destroy everything, including our finances. It says, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I'm not going to read the scripture to you, but if you back up in this chapter in Malachi, you'll see God very, in very direct terms confronting non-tithers. And he basically says to them, because you're not tithing, there's a consequence, and it's this. All of your finances are cursed. Not the 10% you should have given me. That's not what's cursed. All of it. Your entire financial package is cursed. And um, what that means is that God's covering, his protection to rebuke the devourer is off of your finances. So the devourer sees that and says, wow, I get to have a party and I'm going to devour right here. And I believe what happens is, is almost mathematically measurable. I really, really believe that 90% with God's blessing is significantly more money than 100% that's cursed. I mean, I wouldn't wish on anybody to have their transmission fall out of their car on the freeway in rush hour. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff that hell wants to happen to you and me. It is. Things break that shouldn't break and stuff comes up that just munches and eats at the resources of the king's kids. That's what God's talking about. And he says that when we don't trust the Lord in this area of our lives, that the finances become cursed. And the curse is... The devourer has free reign. But one of the promises that God says is, he says, you know, test me in this. He says, you can test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. He promises to rebuke the devourer. There have been times um, I was at Top Foods, Hagen's, I still call it Top Foods, and they've been in the news a lot lately because the company's messed up and it's going bankrupt. And so there's one on the west side of Olympia. And um, I was in there buying some flowers for my mom. And um, uh, I was talking to the flower lady. And she, um, she'd been working there 28 and a half years. And I said, How, how's it looking? And she said, well, not too good. We, we, um, we don't know if we're going to have a job. And they're going to auction off the place. And they might close. All these terrible things that could happen. And I encouraged her and said what I thought I could. And there have been times in my life where my employer, before I was in ministry, and even in ministry, my employer said, you know, it looks like we've got to cut back and we're going to lay people off and maybe closing this operation. And that's scary. You'd probably face that. It's, it's terribly scary. I don't think that way anymore. And the reason is I have a deal with God. I have put my personal finances into his hands. Now, I'm supposed to be a good steward, and I try to be wise with what I do with money, and I don't run up debt, and I'm trying to, you know, get to the place where I don't owe anybody anything, and, you know, just like you, I'm trying to do those kinds of things. But in the long and the short of it is, if the stock market crashes, don't get afraid. I'm not predicting this, you know, but if, 
if the price of oil goes to a million dollars a barrel and the stock market crashes and the dollar's worthless, I got to deal with God. It's his responsibility to care for me and my household financially. And I know that no matter what happens, I'm going to be fine. In fact, my focus isn't on how will I make sure that I'm okay. It's how will I be able to help the people in my neighborhood who won't be okay because they don't have any faith in God. So, I've walked for decades now with a sense of peace that my, the company I work for, the people who sign my paycheck, are not my employer. And they don't hold my tomorrow in their hands. My tomorrows are held in way better place than that. The FDIC can't provide that kind of insurance. And I tie that back to the day that I said, I'm going to quit doing this my way and I'm going to put my trust in God. Now I want you to know something, church. We talk about tithing here and I talk it to you because of that. Because of the freedom I have in my life and I want you to be free like that too. I don't talk to you about it because we need more of your money. This church is healthy financially. Our bills are paid. If you talk to our council members, they go, yeah, every time we try to set a budget, the Lord says, have more faith than you did last year because I'm blessing. And he is. Your funds are being watched over here and they're invested in people's lives and I commend you for that. That is not why I'm preaching this message. I'm preaching this message because it's in the Word of God, which is important for us to look at the entire counsel of the Word of God, but more so because I really believe it will change your life for the better when you put your faith and your trust in God. And I could give you all kinds of examples, um, personal ones where I've seen things happen and or I've talked to people who've had things happen, things crazy, things like somebody hands them a car and says, God told me to buy you a car. I've known people who've, who've said, you know, God told me to pay for your college education. <laughs> God told me, I'm not kidding you, told me to pay for your braces, for your kids' braces. I've seen that kind of stuff happen. And I know it's tied directly to some faith that God will look over our tomorrows. I'm overjoyed. I'm not nuts. I'm rationally overjoyed, mega-joyed when it comes time to give to the Lord. Lisa is the same. We love to give. And um, I really think that um, it's mostly because we're grateful that God who loves us gave to us first. And the thing is that this is about more than just wealth. It's, it's, it's about more than just the math, that X divided by 0.1, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's more than that. It's Because the thing is that if you look at what you do with your money, it's an indicator of what's in your heart. It really is. It's, there's really no argument to that whatsoever. It, it really is a fact. What you do with your money is an indicator of where your heart is. So, so what do we do? We, um, we honor God with our wealth, but the ultimate thing, which goes beyond that, our ultimate gift is to, that we're to give God our lives. The Apostle Paul I'm wrapping up here. I know I said that once before, but I'm really going to get on my notes and get back to the end because I'm almost there, okay? He, he, he was this guy who was imprisoned and beat, and, and he imprisoned and beat and tortured and killed Christians. If you're not a Christian and you don't like Christians, you'd like this guy because he didn't like Christians either. And, but God gets a hold of him and transforms him. And here's what he says in Romans 12. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... In view of what God did for Paul, he's saying this, you know, in, uh, God who is and what he did for us. He says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not just your wealth, because the wealth part is the easy part. It really is. 
It's the starting place. But our whole lives, he says, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. It doesn't make any sense. But in all my ways, I acknowledge him and he'll make my path straight. So my choice is to honor him with my first and my best and then trust him to protect and to bless and to provide. These magi traveled a long ways and what scripture says, I'm going to read this and then we'll pray. They were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. God, I pray that in your presence today that we would be available to be shaped and changed.